We are starting in on the conclusion of the book of Colossians. So I've decided to break it up into 20 parts. <laughs> Just, <laughs> not really. But three, listen, three important practical steps as Paul wraps things up in the book of Colossians, okay? So today is the first of three. And the, the idea of this is, remember, we've been emphasizing the book of Colossians as the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things. In Sunday school, they call it, what, uh, commander-in-chief, you know, for the, here's the book of Colossians, the theme. It's about Jesus, His supremacy, okay? And so, even in coming to the conclusion of the letter, we still need to have that tag in our mind, in that identification of it, so that when we see these very practical steps now to wrap this letter up, we're keeping in mind this one theme, the supremacy of Jesus, not just in a general sense, but you, Christian, the supremacy of Jesus in your life and in my life. Otherwise, it's like, okay, more knowledge, got it filed and put away, and that's that. It does no good to just treat it as just mere knowledge. The supremacy of Jesus Christ in our lives, that we would come to a place in this day and age where we could say, you know what, I'm going to do all things for Christ. I'm going to do whatever it is, small or big things. I want to do it for Jesus Christ because He's the supreme one in my life. And so, the idea here is that, that is going, that's what's going to be making the difference in your life. No matter what you're doing, no matter where you're headed, that's going to make the difference. Is that you know, here's, here's who's supreme in my life. And I've said this before. It's not just another little patch you put on your shirt. It's the fact that He reigns supremely in your life, in my life. So, we come to this idea of here's the supremacy of Jesus making a difference in my lifetime. Okay? So there's three sections that we're going to be looking at. Today... Next Sunday is going to be on prayer. And the following Sunday, to wrap it all up, is going to be on fulfilling what you're called to do. Making a difference. And it's in light of all the instruction that we've received from this letter that it should result then in making a difference in my life now. And so Paul uh, comes along now in this um, section, starting in chapter 4, verse 7. And he's not simply writing out some typical, nice-sounding, closing lines for the letter. Oh, this sounds good. I'll just throw that in. Nor is he merely signing off with just some uh, quaint greetings from some really cool believers. He's got a reason behind it. Okay? He's sharing his heartfelt affirmation of those whose lives were lived out faithfully. And as a result, they encouraged Paul. And that's really, you know, we say, oh, this is the closing section. But really what it's showing is, here's, here's about this idea of encouragement in the life of Paul. What encouraged Paul? We're going to see it here this morning. These people that he mentions. And it becomes more of a, more of a, a thing of substance when we start looking at these people and their lives and what it meant for Paul. And these folks weren't just doing it to get points with Paul because, hey, he's the Apostle Paul. Come on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that for Paul. No, they're doing it out of faithful service for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, we're looking at chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. Starting at verse 7, just follow along in this reading. As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For you have sent him, for I have sent him 
to you for this very purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings and also Barnabas's cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision. And they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Okay, so that's our passage this morning. Next week we'll pick up with verse 12 and and finish it off in the following week at the end of August here. So um, I believe that this is really, number one in your outline, a portrait of encouragement. A portrait of encouragement. And these are the, uh, the ones who are showing the different aspects of encouragement to the Apostle Paul. And thus we can glean from it and learn more about us being uh, a radiance of encouragement, a, an influence of encouragement in our lives. So yes, this message is for you who say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm already a believer, and I want to learn and grow in this aspect, in this way of being an encouragement to others. And we implore you, if you're here this morning and you know in your heart and mind you're not a believer, you've not come to that point in life yet, we implore you to be reconciled to God through Christ. We implore you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask that you recognize your sin before a holy God and that there's no other way of salvation than to repent and believe. And so put your faith in Jesus Christ. He alone, I mean, that's who we were singing about. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Okay? All these different uh, truths that we come through with singing and worship. So we start with, number one, a portrait of encouragement Letter A, fellow servants, fellow servants. So Tychicus and Onesimus are categorized in that way as fellow servants. And we could say all of them, all of the ones that are mentioned are like fellow servants. But here specifically, they were mentioned as fellow servants. And Tychicus, in Paul's words, was a beloved brother and a faithful diakonos. What's that word? Deacon. A faithful servant. Okay? So he wasn't an official deacon necessarily, but he served in that way. He was faithful to Paul. And then he says he was a fellow bond servant. And now he uses another familiar word from the Greek language, doulos. But it's with the little prefix, um, soon. Or soon, I should say. Soon. Soon doulos. Which is simply saying that here's a fellow bondservant. And one of the things that he's noted for is that Tychicus walked with the Lord by being a faithful courier. He was like a messenger. He didn't have that 10-speed bicycle racing through traffic in downtown New York or whatever. But he was walking many, many miles to deliver a letter to the Colossian church, along with the fact that he delivered the letter to the Ephesian church. So this guy was a faithful dude. Okay? And just stop and think, what happens if he doesn't do his job? And all the time, we're, we're emphasizing the Apostle Paul. Wow, look at what he wrote, and look at how God used Paul. But you know what? In a behind-the-scenes way, here's a faithful brother delivering the letter to the people. Very important. Very important. And Paul's saying, you know, this guy, he's a beloved brother. Paul does not use that just for anyone. He doesn't say, this guy's a faithful servant or a fellow bondservant. Just he's experienced time and travel with Paul himself. Tychicus has. And then there's Onesimus. That ought to ring a bell in your mind because Onesimus 
is the reason why Paul wrote the little letter of Philemon. Philemon is about Onesimus. Onesimus was the runaway slave from the guy Philemon. Philemon had this slave and Onesimus ran away and quite possibly stole some money and then got imprisoned in Rome where he came across this guy named Paul and comes to faith in Jesus Christ. The tradition of that is that he came to faith in Christ in prison and then he gets released and Paul sends him back. And what does he have to do? He has to go back to Philemon and ask for forgiveness. And Tychicus is going to be a buffer in that and a, and a help in that whole process. And so it's not just a matter of Onesimus asking for forgiveness. He's doing the right thing by following Paul's instruction by going back. He's doing the right thing by going back and asking forgiveness. He's really humbling himself. When you have to ask forgiveness, what is it like? Is that something you want to sign up for? You enjoy that in your life? No, but it's necessary. It's important because you have to humble yourself recognizing, here's what I did. I need to ask for forgiveness. And not just gloss it over by our typical way of dealing with, oh, I'm sorry. And we do that a lot. We just, oh, I'm sorry. I know I've done it. I want to dodge the 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 conviction of my sin by just saying, I'm sorry. And here he's, have, he's coming to say, I need to ask you for forgiveness. And in the letter of Philemon, Paul is saying to Philemon, hey, you forgive him. And I will back it up. Paul's saying that. I'm going to back this up. So, two men that are fellow servants with Paul. And now in Christ, here's a a faithful and beloved brother. That's what Paul calls Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother. And then together, Tychicus and Onesimus are going to come together and do the communication to the church at Colossae about, hey, here's what's going on. Here's what's happening. Because he says that two different times, emphasizing this. They, they will tell you or inform you about the whole situation here with Paul in his imprisonment. Okay? But it, it goes on to something even more interesting. Letter B, fellow sufferers. And really, it's, it's mainly just one fellow sufferer. And that is, you can see it in verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. He sends his greeting. And we could just kind of say that. Well, he sends his greeting. Isn't that nice? Great. Aristarchus says hi. But he labels him as a fellow prisoner. I want you to take your Bible and turn back, you know, keep your mark there in Colossians chapter 4. But turn with me to um, Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Actually, I think I've got to go back one chapter with you. Acts chapter 19. That's where we want to start. In verse 23, about that time, there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way, the, the faith, the Christian way. That's what they called it there. There's no small disturbance about the way in, the, in this area of, um, of Ephesus. And verse 24, a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, false gods, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. I mean, it was, it was very healthy business. And there he gathered together the workmen of similar trades and said, men, you know what's happening here, that our prosperity depends on this business. And you see in here that not only Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul, 
has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people saying that the gods made with hands are no gods at all. Well, he stirred up the, the people. Go, drop down to verse 28. When they heard this, all these business guys and the people in Ephesus, they were filled with rage and they began crying out saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city was filled with confusion. They rushed with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. Now, it's not clear that they actually imprisoned him or them, Gaius and Aristarchus, but they dragged them into the into the theater, is what they were saying, there into the public arena. And from there, we, we understand that they were released. But Aristarchus is labeled as a fellow prisoner. A man, let's put it this way, a man who is not ashamed to identify himself with the cause of Christ in a heated issue, in a heated situation. He identified himself with Paul, with Jesus Christ, with the gospel. And then we see in Acts chapter 27, you can just um, note, if you're taking notes, Acts 27, Aristarchus is traveling with him, with Paul, and it's the account of the shipwreck in uh, verses 14 through 26 there. Okay? So here, again, is a, a servant who goes the extra mile, so to speak, and ends up suffering with Paul in the persecution and in, in suffering that's equated with believers. And again, you know, back in that day, it was much more distinct. In our day, it's, it's, it's kind of a blur, we don't have the kind of suffering that these believers dealt with. Are we ready? We live in a comfortable place. We live in a comfortable uh, situation in this life. If God should tarry, do you, do you really think that the Christian will be as comfortable as years go on with what's building under the surface, so to speak? And will you be, especially you younger people, will you be ready to endure suffering for the cause of Christ? Many of us here in this room, you know, this might be our last year to live on this earth. Might be a couple more years down the road and, and then we're, we're out of here and we're gone. And yet this issue comes up through the scriptures quite often. And I, I fear that we are not really ready to face that kind of suffering. Aristarchus is a great example of it, is a fellow sufferer. Then letter C, letter C, we would just say it's fellow suppliers, okay? I stretched a little bit on that one, okay, but... Fellow suppliers, meaning suppliers of what? Well, let's look at what he says here. He sends, um, he talks about Barnabas's cousin Mark, and the situation there was unique because Mark was the one that had departed from Paul and Barnabas. And then later, Barnabas says, hey, we need to have Mark come with us on this next trip. And Paul says, no way. He, he deserted us. And through time, Mark is restored back to service, if you will. And he's given a stamp of approval right here and in Second Timothy also uh, regarding his, his re refreshed status, so to speak. And he's, he's back in and back in serving the Lord. But here he says, Barnabas' cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions, if he comes, you welcome him. Also, Jesus, who is called Justice, very popular name, Jesus. <laughs> but 
they say, here's, here's what he's called. Here's, here's his name that he goes by, Justice. These, here's the description. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They're from the circumcision. They were converted Jews. And if you study in the book of Acts and you see all the oppression of from the Jewish religious circles against what Paul is doing, you'll say, well, there's not many that came to faith in Christ from actual Jewish nationality. They're God's people. These are God's people. And we believe that God's people, the Jews, will be the remnant, the true faithful remnant. They will be restored. They will come back and God will, you know, continue to protect His people, the Jews. In our day and age, for the Jewish nation, Israel, to be where they're at is a miracle. That's a miracle. Only God could protect them in the world scene of where they are. And especially now with these uprisings in these other Arab countries going on, it's incredible that Israel hasn't been wiped off the map. Why? Because Israel's got a great army? They do. They have a great military. But not because of that, but because God is what? Sovereign. God is all-powerful and sovereign in keeping His people Israel. So, but these guys, I would call them the faithful few. These Israelite, uh, converted Israelites. But he, he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, they have proved to be a comfort, is what the King James Version says. They proved to be a comfort to me. And the, this word... Um, Paul used the word sunergos. Now, each of these words that he's used about fellow servant, fellow prisoner, fellow bond servant, all have that prefix before, it, before the root word. And the root word here is worker. And we get the uh, concept of synergy. Okay? Some of you, you know what that's about. Synergy is working together. Here it is. And that's what he uses for these men. Notice the focus of their work was the kingdom of God. And in all this, here's the the encouragement that shows up for Paul. Paul's kind of like the, the man in the spotlight, even if he is in prison. Uh, an incredible man. You look at his his record, his resume, and even... Before Christ, it was quite impressive. And here he is now uh, sharing in the spotlight, if you will. He's, it's not just about Paul. He's saying, I got, I got guys that are in a great encouragement to me. These men who are fellow servants, fellow sufferers, fellow suppliers of not just comfort, but really of strength. And that's where we get the, the idea and the concept of encouragement. Okay. Well, most of you know the idea behind the word encouragement. And that's what we need. If we're going to say we want to be a portrait of encouragement like these guys are, if I want to be a portrait of encouragement, if you want to be a portrait, a living picture of encouragement, you know what you need? You need number two in our outline, the pattern of encouragement. You need the pattern of it. And the pattern is simply, here's the definition, and understanding the need. Letter A is the definition. Um, and so, if we break down a word study, of here's the, the study of encouragement, all we're going to see is this simple word, parakaleo. It's, it's the word for to call alongside. You're going to call alongside, or come alongside someone. And that's... It's a simple idea. It's from the same root word used in John 16, verse 7, where the Holy Spirit is called the what? The comforter. That's the word. Paraclete. Paraclete. Okay? And here, when we t- we're talking about, we're talking about the verb form to be encouraging. 
parakaleo. And you're doing that not just in a kind of a, oh, happy, uh, always optimistic and kind of deer in the headlights look uh, about encouraging. No. There's going to be some things here that we want to look at that helps us understand how better to be an encouragement. If we want to be showing ourselves as a portrait, a real picture of encouragement, then we must understand the pattern. And so the connection with us being an encouragement is obvious with the study of the Holy Spirit. A lot of times we neglect the, the study of the Holy Spirit. And yet the Holy Spirit is called the paraclete and the one who comes to comfort, the one who comes alongside. Okay? And so as you and I say, yeah, I mean, I don't know who, who doesn't want to try and be an encouragement in their life to other people. And so as a believer in Jesus Christ, you automatically align yourself with this description of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the deal. Here's the delicacy of it. You're not going to be acting like the Holy Spirit in another person's life. Sometimes that gets almost obnoxious. You're not the Holy Spirit. You are a vessel of the Holy Spirit to be filled and to be used in how He sees fit. That's what we're put in the body of Christ for. We've been baptized in the body of Christ by the Spirit of God. That, all that means is that we've been put in the body. And all of a sudden, being put in the body means there's a, a, a mutual partnership with other believers. Okay? Now, you know, for instance, some of you guys that are going off to a Christian college, you know, well, you'll find a lot of partnership there with other believers. But some of you that are going off to a secular university, you're, you're not going to come across Christians necessarily right away. <laughs> but God's got other believers there because God's got His people everywhere. Right? And so you're looking to really partner up with fellow believers. And that's what we all need to be doing. Not just on a Sunday morning... But throughout the week, you work in Reno, you know, hey, partner up with fellow believers there. You work in Carson City, partner up. That's the idea that believers have. Okay? And so, the idea of connecting with the role of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16 is not that we would come across like, well, I'm going to tell you what God's will is for your life. That's like acting like the Holy Spirit. No, you come alongside being used of God, His Spirit to be an encouragement, whether it's in difficult situations or uplifting situations. Say, I I, got to confront my brother about his sin. Well, the Holy Spirit wants to use you in that way. Humbly, kindly, gently, but nonetheless zeroed in on what needs to be done, what needs, how it needs to be said. Okay? Well, not just understanding the definition of encouragement, meaning to call to one side, to encourage, to inject strength, but also the demand. Understand the demand. Stop and think. I, every day, you're not necessarily broadcasting it, but every day you need encouragement. No matter how well off you are, no matter how stable you are, you need encouragement. But especially the demand gets more intense because there's many of us in this very room who aren't so stable, who aren't so strong, and we're weak, and we're downcast, and we're hurting, and we need encouragement. We get new people coming in our doors every week. We don't know them. We don't know what, what's going on in their lives. And it's not our business to pry into that on the first Sunday. <laughs> but are we ready to encourage them with a word of welcome how we do that? Are we looking around for that? Or are we just looking for our own buds and best friends? We need to be a people that are overflowing with encouragement. 
Because the Holy Spirit resides in me or in you. And so we need to be ready. I want to be an encouragement to others. And if I see somebody new, I want to welcome them. And it goes beyond just welcoming people on a Sunday morning. It goes to your best friend who's struggling with something and you're carefully trying to be an encouragement and not just giving them pat answers. But the demand is so incredible. Would it, wouldn't it be nice if life were just free and easy? <laughs> Amen. Wouldn't it be nice if, if it was just, a, as we say in Minnesota, a skate in the park? Wouldn't that be nice? But then we'd all be pretty much a bunch of wimps. You know why? Trials and tribulations cause strength as we look to Jesus. Only as we look to Jesus. The demand for encouragement is overwhelming. There are people everywhere in need of it. And they might be in your home, in your family. They not might be, they are. And remember, you know, there's many people in our community of Fallon who are struggling and hurting so much. And, and it's largely due to the fact they are never encouraged like they could be. And remember, there's no restrictions. It's Encouragement is for everyone. It's not like there's a certain age. Oh, I'm sorry, you guys can't be an encouragement. You're not old enough. What? What? Oh, you're not in the right class of people. You can't be an encouragement. Wrong. You know, there's there's no age requirements. There's no uh, certification to get. Um, you just be an encouragement. And it doesn't come from necessarily... You can watch other people and see how they encourage, but it really comes from the Lord Himself, who is the encourager, the comforter. Do you understand the comfort of the Holy Spirit in your life? Maybe some of you don't. And maybe... You, you, you're realizing, yeah, my life is all about me. Well, that's a, a perverted view of the Christian life. Everyone who says they're a believer, everyone should be an encourager. Everyone can be an encourager. And listen, the essence of encouragement is not all that complicated. It's really not that complicated. And the training for this, it doesn't start here. It does not start here in church. It starts at your home. Whether you've got a family or you're single or whatever, or you've got roommates, it starts at home. And really, it starts in your heart with the Lord Jesus. How many times you feel down in the past month? How many times do you feel like I'm really struggling? How many? Just think of that. Think of those things. And if we can be that kind of people, whether it's here on a Sunday morning or it's during the week or during a Bible study, Wednesday night Bible study, Sunday night Bible study, whatever night, I want to just be overflowing with that. I want to be ready for that. And yes, God knows when you're hurting and you need it. But a lot of times our eyes are too, you know, filled up with ourselves and we don't see the person sitting right across the living room from us trying to encourage us and we're not then listening. But the training starts at home, but the church wants to be a support in it all the way. We need to be preaching about it. We're doing that right now. We need to be teaching about it. We need to be exemplifying it when we're together and when we're not together. (laughs) Okay? So, we've got the portrait of encouragement from Colossians chapter 4. We've got the pattern of encouragement. Here's the simple definition. 
understanding the, the great demand for it. And then number three is, okay, let's practice it. Here's the practice of encouragement. The practice of encouragement starts with letter A, the discipline needed. It's a discipline, my friend. It's not just a gift that you have. It's not just like, um, you know, Monty comes up and he's always up and optimistic and raring to go. It's not like he's got the gift of encouragement over everyone else. He's an encourager. Uh, there's others of you. I can name you as a, an encourager. But see, it's a discipline all of us need to work on more and more. You and I must see this as a habit of life. It's got to be a habit of life. And it takes, listen, now, it, it takes not only consideration and examination, we ought to consider how we are to encourage one another. Hebrews chapter 10, it says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good works. And then it goes on to say, encouraging one another as you see the day approaching. So that it's connection there. Are you considering thinking through how you can encourage others. It just isn't a matter of consideration, though. It's a matter of involvement. And here's the key. I believe this is what Paul did. He, not, he wasn't just saying, I appreciate you guys by listing them in Colossians 4. It wasn't just a matter of saying, I appreciate you. I believe he affirmed them. What's the difference? What's the difference between appreciation and affirmation? Appreciation is pretty surfacey. Hey, I really appreciate you. Thank you. But when I affirm you, what am I doing? I'm looking more like this. I'm looking in your eye and I'm saying, you know, what you did just meant so much to me and how you did it is, is really special. Now I've gone from just mere appreciation to affirmation. And guess what? If we get to that level, encouragement is going to be like, you know, the popcorn going all over the place. It's just boom, 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 boom. Encouragement. Okay? So affirmation is what's needed Here's appreciation. That's good. Appreciation. We appreciate this or that. But affirmation goes deeper. And that's what we're looking at. How we can affirm people. And way too often, all that your hurting friend or your hurting family member sees is their own pitfall of problems and pain. That's what happens a lot of times. All of a sudden... You know, it's been like, oh, I'm just so tired of this. I'm, I, I can't handle this. And all we can see then is our own pit full of problems. That's all we can see. Because that's all we're, it's like we're so familiar with it now. What does Psalm 121 say? I will, what? I'll lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I'm going to call to mind Scripture. But then, if I'm going to be an encouragement to that person in my family or my friends who's struggling, I want to just carefully encouraging them to say, you know, Psalm 121 has meant a lot to me. Why don't you check it out? And that way it's not like, oh, you're in sin because you're not checking out Psalm 121. What kind of encouragement is that? See, it's done in a, in a spirit of love. But it's not just a soft kind of thing. It's driven saying, we want to honor the Lord here in our lives. Scripture is clear. Okay? It shows, here's the, the discipline that's needed. Okay? Um, if you'll just, I, I'm not going to get into it here now, but um, Hebrews chapter 10. Just mark it down. Hebrews chapter 10. Basically, the whole chapter uh, up to verse 25, it's, it's calling you and I to be an encourager on a regular basis, on a habitual kind of way. Okay? And that's in the context of worship. 
So here we are, we gathered for worship. And it's like a lot of us think worship is just we come and we listen to this preacher. Or we come and we sing these songs. Or I, I'm, I'm called to pray today, so i got to pray. And it's like we get into these little boxes of thinking this is what worship is about. But in Hebrews chapter 10, it's breaking it open to say, you know, here's, here's about worship. Don't neglect the assembling of ourselves together as the manner is some. But what? Encourage one another as you see the day approaching. And that's like, here's a momentum builder. We ought to be encouraging one another more and more and more. Hey, stay in there with Jesus. Keep walking with Him. Keep trusting Him in your... I'm praying for you in this. I'm not just praying a, a general thing. I'm, I'm praying specifically that God will answer your prayer. Those all deal with, here's an encouraging spirit. Okay. Letter B under number three is the fact that the dividends gained. A lot of times we just don't recognize it. But the more you are an encouragement... The, the more, uh, let's put it this way, you will never know, I will never know the actual results of it, what encouragement can do. God wants to use you, my friend, Christian, brother, sister, God wants to use you in this way. Very simple, very basic. But nonetheless, that we would, you know, recognize the results can be just a multitude of things that we might never know. But you and I need to perpetuate it. That's the key word. We need to perpetuate it. Not just practice it, but perpetuate it. Look at it this way. As we understand this passage for this morning, not every one of us is going to be the Apostle Paul. Yeah? You with me? Not everyone's going to be like the Apostle Paul. But you know what? Everyone can be like some of these other men and women that helped out in uh, somebody's, like the Apostle Paul, in their lives. And here's how. All you need to do is just remember, it's a basic thing again. I'm not giving you anything profound. You... Almost all of you know this. It simply comes back to walk with Jesus. When you walk with Jesus, you are engaging in something that's going to be making a difference. You see, a lot of times I find that I'm not walking with Jesus. I'm really walking in my own, in my own uh, agenda, with my own stuff in mind. And so every day... Every moment, moment by moment, day by day, we're called to abide in Christ. And then it, it goes into not just abiding, but now walking. Here's action. Here's action happening. The partnership was established by Jesus when he came to earth and he gave himself as the once for all sacrifice, Hebrews chapter 10. And then the partnership is... is uh, even doubled up on, if you will, by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit giving witness to what's written in the Old Testament. Hebrews chapter 10. The partnership is not complete until you, Christian, enter in and start saying, Hey, I want to consider how to stimulate one another to love and good works and encourage my brother, encourage my sister in Christ. And so the dividends are are huge. So, when we understand that, you, you look at the people that surrounded Paul and supported Paul, they were people that walked with the Lord. They loved the Lord Jesus. They demonstrated a servant's heart. They were active partners for the cause of the gospel, not just for Paul. And it resulted in a teamwork of obedience a teamwork of encouragement. Okay? So, if we could just end it, that, end it with this. Here it is. Very simple. These people that are mentioned in Colossians 4 had to have been walking with Christ. Because if they weren't, Paul would have said something. Paul would have noted it. And we're going to see something about that, um, not next week, but the following week. 
No, maybe it is next week. But we're going to see something of that flavor in our study next Sunday. When you are walking with Christ, it's not, listen, it's not just a thing of knowledge. It's not just knowing, oh, I got to walk with Christ. It's doing. Right? It's knowledge and, in knowledge and in deed. You're actively engaged in trusting in Christ. You're actively engaged in encouraging one another. You're actively engaged in serving, no matter what the status is, no matter what the position is. And you know, we understand it isn't always pretty. But what we do know is that He remains faithful. In the midst of our pain as a family, you know, we could say those things, but it didn't really hit. And what we need to do is keep drawing our minds back to the truths of His Word, saying, God remains faithful. God remains good. Nothing has changed Him. He remains good. So whatever you're facing in your difficulty, in the despair of life, you have to draw your mind back and encourage yourself about the Word of God, saying, God remains faithful despite what I'm feeling. God remains good despite what I see going on. God is unchanging, immutable. And here's the final thing. He will use His children. God will use His children, you and I, to bring forth what Paul describes, and jot this down, it's just the reference, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 and 15. Paul says this, he describes it as the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. And we are a fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Listen, um, you ever walk into a place and, and with other people and, and they kind of look around and say, what? what smells? And this has happened to me before. And, I, you know, it's like, I don't know. I mean... I, yeah, I smell it too. And then I realized it's me. And what I did was I checked my shoe. Yeah, I stepped in the doggy doo. And, you know, that's kind of embarrassing. You know, walking in, in the carpet, whether it's an office or a home, and it's like, ah, sorry. But it smells. It smells. There's all sorts of other illustrations. I can give you this. I, I um, My dad who passed away back in 1988, or my grandfather, who passed away back in 1971. If I got a glimpse of, or a, a quick shot of their uh, aftershave, what would that do to me? Boom, 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 boom. Memories, memories, memories. Aromas are important, aren't they? Whether they're good or stinky. <laughs> And we don't want to be having a stinky aroma. Thus, uh, deodorant, thus cologne and perfume, all that, right? We want a good aroma for each other. But see, God uses this because He knows we got some sensitive noses here. And God says, you know, you be, you, my child, you be an aroma for Christ. An aroma of Christ is the way it says it. Be an aroma of Christ. When people, you know, get close to you, what do they smell? And the idea is, because your life is lived in such a way, action with knowledge, you make a difference. And you know what's overflowing through it all? Encouragement. Encouragement. Why? Because of what Christ brought about. The victory He accomplished at Calvary is why we can smell so good. And with 
here in this context, with encouragement for one another. The smell, as in old Roman times when the, the, the Roman uh, uh, warriors came back to Rome, they would light incense and the incense would be uh, permeated through everything because they're walking into, back into the city and they're, they're crying out the victory. And so it is with us. We ought to be saying, I can be an encouragement. I have hope because of the victory that Jesus Christ accomplished at Calvary. And may His victory bring forth more and more of the aroma of Christ in our lives. You know, I just want to say, if you have not yet come to faith in Christ, you don't literally smell but you figuratively smell of death. And Christian, we have to be careful that we are walking with Christ so that we don't smell like death either. That, but that we smell, we have the aroma of life because of the victory that Jesus Christ has brought about. So, today, this week, here you go. Here I go. How can I... How can I do this? I want to consider how to encourage one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for who you are and what you've accomplished for us. And Lord, we recognize so really we recognize quickly, Lord, how um, self-centered we are. And please help us to be. Help us, Lord, in, in growing to be more like Jesus. Help us to be looking about seeing who is in need of encouragement. But not just that, Lord, but to, to really be a help to others who are entangled in uh, their own self-righteousness. And Lord, we want to ask You that You've, you've promised to do a good work in us. Help us, Lord, to be uh, humbling ourselves. Help us, Lord, to be really hungry for Your way and Your righteousness in our lives. Lord, there's people who are hurting everywhere around us as we look, as we really check it out. And I pray that we might be a people that are known to be uh, like Barnabas, uh, a son of encouragement. Help us, we pray, and that we would then turn and give you the glory because of the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.